Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is episode 248, 2019 BGA Shopping Guide. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. So, Anthony, we are back to the, our favorite time of the year. It is talking about all of the board games that we hope to purchase on that most fantabulous of holidays, Black Friday. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the most important holiday of the year for board gamers everywhere when everything's on sale. I can't wait until my internet connection crashes as I try to get to those sales of those two board games that are really hot and they're gone. So, yes. Yeah, oh, it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should just join me. If you have no self-control and you buy them throughout the year, then you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I remember a day not so long ago a couple years back when the board game industry was flush with games long before asmodee came around and you know chomped everybody up and everybody had a deck builder and everyone had a area control game and there were just games and games and games and games and everyone could find them and everyone could get a copy and then over time it became well you could get on if you could get on to buy a copy of something but it's going to be really hard and really laggy and then a couple years later, it was just, and the site crashed, and the site crashed, and then, of course, the site crashed again and again and again, and maybe you got half of a sharpening cart, and the site crashed again. And then only to come back hours later and just find that everything was gone, but somehow someone had a connection that was able to purchase a game. So now we're at the point where the Black Friday sales are kind of spread out with the rare occasion that a publisher jumps in and they have their own website sale or a online retailer will probably throw a bunch of really crazy things up for sale, either certain days off for the Christmas holiday or maybe black Friday or cyber Monday. So it doesn't have the same punch that it used to. It's more along the lines of like, this is the general time of year where things will be on sale, maybe not as crazy as you would once think, but there will be things on sale at least. Yeah, yeah, you get stuff. And so we're going to list off a bunch of stuff and hopefully you can find a couple of them, right? That's the goal. Yeah, so as you look through those giant lists, most of which which are clearance items from games long, long ago, we're going to be talking about probably the best games out there from 2019 you should pick up. But before we get into our feature review, we want to talk about what's going on with BGA. So first up, a big thanks to everybody out there that's been connecting with us on social media. We really appreciate that. We have been having some really great conversations on Facebook and on Twitter, especially of our question of the week. So our question of the week for this week will actually be next week, where we'll be talking about your top game of all time. And not to mention, we currently have a big contest where you can win a game, and we're looking for our listeners, that's you, your top 20 games. So if you haven't already responded, please jump onto our Facebook page, check out the contest, click on the contest, fill out your top 20 games, and you could totally win a game for the holiday season. And probably for many of you, you've already jumped onto our question of the week, which will be going on. And we want to know what your top board game is of all time. And you get to check out everyone else's top board game of all time, which has been really, really surprising for us. I know about 
I've kind of been thrown back and forth as far as all the different things that people like and very few duplicates, Anthony. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I was looking through the list and you've obviously been way more active in there than I have. I've been just crazy with work and life, but I get the notifications on my phone when people comment and there are literally hundreds of responses at this point from people listing all sorts of games just all over the place. And we have the poll too, which you mentioned as part of the contest. And I can see, like it gives me statistics on how many games are listed for the number one. There is no game that more than two people have listed as their number one game in that contest. So dozens of different games were selected as people's number ones there, as well as on Facebook. It's crazy. And that's, I mean, it just shows how diverse the hobby is because there are so many games you can like and might just be enamored with that everybody's list is a little bit different, but I don't, I don't know that we've, I've personally seen it as diverse as this before when we've run these before. So it's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to putting the top 20 together and seeing what comes out on top. Yeah. It's really my most exciting list of the year to hear back from everybody, what they're playing and especially what their favorite games are. So please Facebook, Twitter, these contests are out there. We definitely want your responses, especially the listeners top 20 are Next episode, episode 249, will be our listeners' top 20 for 2019. We need your suggestions. And also, a big thanks to everyone that has donated to our Patreon backer account. Obviously, you know we've had a lot of challenges over the last couple of years, and we continue to put out new episodes, not to mention all of our great content on patreon.com slash BGA. So please go check us out. And please, absolutely, positively, thank you again for sharing the podcast with new people. It's really a great feeling to go on to all those different Facebook groups, Reddit, Twitter, and people ask about podcasts, and you throw our name up there. It does mean a lot. Thank you so much again, and keep spreading the board game hobby out there. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with us, our Patreon account, and especially our listeners all right, so let's get into the games that have been hitting the table, and we'll let everyone know if those games are a buy, and they should run out and pick those games up if those games are a play, and they should sit down and play them, or if those games are a dodge, avoid them all costs, and maybe, possibly, those games are a burn, and you should avoid them at all costs. So, Anthony, what did hit your table this week? All right, I'm going to talk about a game that is... Anomaly for a few reasons. One, it's really old. It's been out of print forever. And two, how old it, is it? It's twenty years old. It's not really a funny joke. <laughs> uh, well, you brought it up. What do you want from me? Um, <laughs> so this is the twentieth anniversary edition of Bus. It is the first game from Splutter, and one of the few that really nobody could get for the longest time. This is not a game that's been in heavy print or rotation or anything else, because this was like the game they made in college as part of like a student group. Been printed a few times over the years, but not consistently. So Capstone swooped in, and not only did they print the game, which is the first time I think that a Splatter game has been printed by another publisher in the US at least, but they commissioned brand new artwork. They have fancy little bits. And in the 20th anniversary edition, you get all the things. You get both the old school map and the newer, much easier to look at, much more beautiful looking map <laughs> that really fits like modern styles of board game design. So from a design perspective, this is immediately the best looking splatter game. Unless you're, you know, obsessed with the kind of minimalist 
borderline handmade style that their games tend to have. But it's also got all that stuff in there for people who really remember or love the old version of the game. Uh, the game itself, Bus, is interesting. I did, didn't really know what I was getting into at first because um, I hadn't played it before. But it is essentially a worker placement game. And it comes from a time when worker placement was brand new. So it has the dominant species style worker placement where you have all these actions on the right side of the board. You place your action markers in turn order, you know, throughout the game. And then when everybody has placed them and passed, then you will execute them in the order that they're placed. So you can take an action earlier in that round that will then impact what happens later, which is one of the cooler things about dominant species. It's not quite as intricate here, obviously, as a game that is a little bit older, but it has that feel, and I really like that. Uh, the other cool thing is you start the game with 20 action markers, and that is it. So there are no rounds in the game. You just have 20 actions. Everybody does. And when you've used them all up, you're done. That's the end of the game for you. Uh, if three people use them all up before the last person does, that last person doesn't get to use all theirs. So uh, they'll get to finish the round, but they won't get another round to play by themselves. So you have to kind of manage your resources carefully. And if you have an opportunity to go big, you do it. And that's really cool. That's not something you generally see uh, in, especially in a worker placement game, where you're like, you know what, this round, I want to spend twice as many workers and just jump ahead of everybody. That's a really cool mechanic that I really liked. Uh, the actual play on the board when you take those actions is route building and delivery, because you are, of course, moving passengers to and fro in a bus. You will be placing out links on the map. You will be putting passengers in one of the two train stations. You will be putting buildings out. And there is... The, uh, the time marker moves around and shows you each round what type of building people want to get to. If they're already at that building, you cannot move them. So you have to think carefully about where you can put buildings and how you can reach them and how far they have to go. There is an option to get more buses. You start the game with one bus, but you can get up to five if you take that action. And then there's a really weird, funky action at the bottom called a time stone, where if you want to stop the game from moving forward to the next building type, which basically just blocks people from scoring the next round, you can do that, which is kind of cool too. It costs you one point, and the scoring in this is very low. It was like we were all around 10 to 12 points at the end of the game, but you can do it. So it's a very interesting kind of snapshot of what game design looked like 20 years ago, but kind of at a decently high level for 20 years ago, right? It holds up pretty strongly. It has elements in there of like Catan in terms of how you lay the roots when you start. It has elements of, like I mentioned, dominant species, that style of, you know, um, worker placement. And it just all flows together really smoothly. And we had a lot of fun. It is cutthroat, as you'd imagine, for a splatter game. You are going to block each other. You're going to cut each other off. You're going to put buildings out that intentionally mess with somebody's roots. Um, you're going to block people's ability to get to certain things. All the things you would come to expect and know and love if you've played Indonesia or food chain magnet or is great Zimbabwe, all the same stuff, but it's more streamlined uh, in terms of overall mechanics. It's a smaller, quicker game. So we played in like an hour and a half uh, with four people and it, it really did flow pretty quickly. We almost set up and did it again, but other people were waiting. So I really enjoyed it quite a bit. And to top it all off, you know, I have the 20th anniversary edition, which is a decent price, but if you just get the retail edition, 
which doesn't come with like the old school map, but I don't know how many people are really going to want that. It's only like 65 or $70 online. So it's actually the price of a normal board game, albeit an expensive normal board game, but a normal board game, not a splatter board game. So it, I'm actually comfortable recommending this one as a buy. It, just having played it just the one time, obviously I want to play it a bit more, but I really, really enjoyed it. And it gives me a similar vibe of like Great Zimbabwe where I could set this up and play it real quick in between longer games and still feel like we're getting a lot out of it. Whereas, you know, their other games tend to be all day affairs. So that is Bus it's from Capstone. Uh, I think it's available now or soonish um, for people to pick up. And I know they'll have it at PAX Unplugged. And uh, yeah, I recommend checking it out. It's quick, it's accessible, it is mean. So if you haven't played a splatter, be ready for that. But uh, there's some cool stuff in there and it holds up really well considering, you know, it's a 20 year old game and their first, you know, stab at game design in general. So that is bus. I think just like there is a weight scale, there should be a mean scale. So <laughs> where would you place this as far as means concerned if you had to put two other games to kind of sandwich it? Um, that's a good question. I mean, it's not, it's not as mean as like an Indonesia or a food chain magnet where you can just lock somebody out and not let them do anything. (laughs) Like if you really want to, you know, knock somebody down, but at the same time, because it's a worker placement game and because somebody can get to something before you and because someone could interact with your roots by putting buildings there and messing with your passengers, it can be kind of mean. I think it's, going to depend on the player group because you could not do those things and still play to win but it's uh not their meanest game for sure but it's not the friendliest (laughs) either all right well i have a tablet or a phone game for you this week so it's not what's hitting the table it's what's hitting the tablet this is a game that we have played and loved a great deal on its board game version. This is Seven Wonders Duel. Now, Seven Wonders Duel, the app here, came out recently, about a month back, and I've been playing it obsessively since I got it. Uh, Seven Wonders Duel, since it is a two-player version of Seven Wonders, sometimes it's a little more challenging to get to the table because that just tends to be what happens with two-player games. So having the opportunity to play this on the phone, and it is an excellent phone version of the game it really kind of has everything on that one screen and typically if you know if you listen to any of my app reviews that tends to be my one big criticism when you play board games and one of the great things about board games is just the most quick view of the table you can get a real sense of what everyone's doing where you're at and what you need to do and with apps because the screen tends to be obviously much much smaller it usually relies on multiple pages. So you might have in your hand one, you know, certain kind of mechanic, and then you go, well, I'm okay over here, but let me go check something else out. And you go check out like three kind of screens down, and it turns out something is not going good at that end. And then, well, now you got to go back and switch back and forth and try to keep it all in your head at the same time. And that's just not ideal for a board game. So Seven Wonders Duel, which has this kind of like pyramid setup of cards, And basically what it is, is three rounds of drafting cards and the cards overlay each other. So as you pick up different cards, it will reveal other cards. Now, it still has the wonders, just like seven wonders. And at the beginning of the game, you will be drafting those as well. 
And basically, they have a resource requirement, and they'll give you a special ability. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's victory points. Uh, every once in a while, and these are really the ones that you should shoot for, it lets you take another turn. That's going to be really helpful because as the game goes on, you're going to want to pick up cards that may be behind other cards. So playing a wonder that lets you trash a card, but then pick up the next card is really kind of a power move in this game. So the actual app has a really decent soundtrack, not as good as Seven Wonders. The top part of the actual app has the game itself. The AI is pretty challenging, not impossible. You can beat the AI if you play a good game. It's not going to be something that's going to just crush you each and every time. The artwork and the graphic design here is direct from the game. Really easily recognizable. And as you pull the cards and you drop them onto the board, on the left side is going to be the military track. On the right side is going to be the science track. The military track is going to win you the game if you get enough military symbols, basically in a tug-of-war situation with your opponent. If you're able to push it up and push it over to the end of their edge, you win the game automatically, no matter where it is in the three rounds. The same thing is true about the science side, although instead of a tug-of-war, you're trying to collect enough science tokens in order to win that situation. And there, there's going to be six science tokens. So yes, a little bit a little bit of a tug of war in that size. You both try to pick up those different tokens. And if neither of those happens at the end of the three ages, then it's going to count up victory points, which are typically, but not always, going to be the blue culture cards. There's a number of other cards as guild cards and such. They're going to score you victory points, but typically it's going to be the blue culture cards. You're able to play this game not just with the AI, although I do recommend the AI, but you'll also have an opportunity to play this online. And, you know, just everyone tends to be a little more challenging. You can also play this side by side, so you can actually put the app down. One person plays on one end of the phone, the other person plays on the other end. This is really a phenomenal app development project that they've done here. The game looks great. It's nice and crisp and clean. It plays super fast. What's challenging about it is, is because it does play so fast, Oftentimes, I will lose a game because I'm focusing on either the military or the science track, and I turn around, and I think I got victory, and I was not watching the other track. How? How is this possible when everything's on one screen? I still cannot tell you because it's happened to me multiple times, and yet it's still a fantastic game. So if you love Seven Wonders, love Seven Wonders Duel, or if you love each of the different implementations here, this is going to be great. I'm really looking forward to the expansion to come up here. So Seven Wonders Duel, the app, gets a buy. That's great. Yeah. We talked about this before the show, and I was like, I didn't know that existed. And you told me that you already told me this a month ago, and He's... I was clearly not paying attention. So, <laughs> And it's not a bad price. I think it's about five bucks. Yeah, I just bought it. So it's yeah, it's five dollars. <laughs> now that it's I know it exists. It's a little high, but not crazy, like Castles of Burgundy, which is nine dollars, and that's insane. So... Check it out, pick it up, and buy yeah. it. Yeah. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that's going on at our table. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are taking a look at BGA Shopping Guide 2019. So whatever holiday you celebrate, we all, as board gamers, celebrate the Black Friday, the Cyber Monday, the Small Business Saturday just being able to purchase games at a slightly higher discount so we can get more cardboard goodness 
in our hands. It's just a fantastic year, especially when a lot of games really need a lot of love out there. And, you know, sometimes they're a little more difficult to get through, or sometimes they're a little bit longer, a little bit heavier, a little bit crunchier. So a little discount actually helps us want to pick those games up, stretches our dial a little bit more, and gets more of that content out there. So we have a fantastic list for you. Anthony, what are you thinking about 2019 as a year for board gaming? I mean, we say this every year, but it's it's been interesting because there is always a huge glut of games. But as you mentioned earlier, we're also starting to experience that little bit of consolidation. So you've got like companies like Fantasy Flight who are just making fewer games now and all the different divisions of Asmodee making fewer games. And the general result of that is the average quality is a little bit higher. We just don't necessarily have as many like Rockstar home run games with the exception of like, you know, a wingspan that took the the hobby by storm. There's been a ton, a ton, a ton of Kickstarter games too. So that's a big part of it. Like all these games that came through on Kickstarter and that kind of changes our perception of the hobby a little bit as people who talk about it all the time, but also like you go to a convention and half the booths there, there are people showing or selling games that either aren't out yet or just came out through the Kickstarter or whatever it might be. So it is changing a little bit how we look at things, but I think the end result. And after you look at the entire year is, yeah, there's a bunch of good stuff out there. You can pick up. Why don't you start us off with our family category? All right. Yeah. So these are the games that, uh, played throughout the year and really enjoyed and would recommend for your family. So got five of them, five for each category. Let's kick it off with just one. This is probably my favorite party game of the year. It is a word game, but it is cooperative, unlike most other word games. And the goal here is to work together to get individual people to guess the word that you are giving them clues for. So there's 13 cards. Try to get as close to 13 as you can by getting all of those. If Two people give the same clue. Those clues are eliminated. So you have to be creative in what you come up with. It's really solid. It's a lot of fun for families, but also just for your game group. And one of the few word games that I still really enjoy. Next up is Slide Quest. This is a good one for the kids. It is from Blue Orange Games. And in it, again, a cooperative game, you are working together to move your knight around this board. And they're going to roll around and you try to accomplish different things. On the board, there's holes everywhere. You're trying to get them through things and accomplish different, you know, objectives and goals based on what comes out. It's quick. It's very simple, but also like any dexterity game for a parent, it's not simple. So uh, it's a good chance for your kids to be really engaged as well. Uh, My son in particular really, really likes this and it's fairly inexpensive. So that's Slide Quest. On the little bit more robust side of things for kids is Zombie Kids Evolution. So this one's actually shot up to number one on the children's games list overall, which I'm not surprised because it's a really well-made legacy game for kids. It's based on like an older game about zombies. So the basic idea is you are trying to stop these zombies from invading your school. It's cooperative, of course, you're working together. But as the kids get better, as they start winning games, you're going to unlock different things. You can start tracking the development. There's like stickers that come in the box. It it's really designed to kind of look like a video game and how it kind of gives you these achievements for doing things. There's envelopes, of course, it's a legacy game. And it's kind of a fun, interesting way to introduce legacy games to kids. And again, very inexpensive. This is like a $25, $30 game online. So it's a good, quick, fun, goofy looking zombie game that the kids really seem to like. 
And the next one here is Planet. So Planet is a game from, again, Blue Orange Games, where you have this magnetic, um, I think, 12-sided <laughs> sphere. And you're going to be drafting different tiles. They're also magnetic and placing them on the sphere and with the goal of creating different land masses that will allow you to pick up different scoring cards. And the scoring cards are all laid out in a certain draft order. You have 12 rounds in the game, so you'll get 12 pieces on your planet. And this is one that my son instantly enjoyed and his friends have equally enjoyed. It has a lot of very hands-on mechanics. You're just really in there doing stuff. And the scoring is always different because of the way the cards come out. So this is a really good one. It's good for all ages of the family, honestly. Everybody's really enjoyed it. So that's Planet. And then the last one is Tiny Towns. I've talked about this before, uh, reviewed it on episode 221. And this is a build and write or roll and build, however you want to do it. <laughs> you flip cards, it's going to have different resources on them. You place them on your sheet. And then once you have the right combination of resources, you replace those with a building. You keep doing that until you can't place anything anymore. The buildings are different every time. The cards that flip are different every time. There's multiple ways to play it, whether you have like a central deck or if people individually choose what you play. It's really quick. It's really easy. There's expansions coming too. And honestly, at all ages, I've had a lot of fun with this so far. So that one's Tiny Towns. All right. So Anthony, what do we have for our two-player games? All right. Two-player games this year. First up is King Domino Duel. This is a dice rolling, roll and write version of King Domino, but it's only for two players, which is interesting. You will roll dice. You will then draw the corresponding symbols on your sheet, and you'll try to score big chunks of areas by doing that. It is quick. It is simple. It works really well at all ages. Uh, my son plays it. I played it at game nights, and I was decently surprised. I thought it'd be a quick cash in on the roll and write craze, and it was one of the better roll and writes that I picked up this year. Uh, next one up is Keyforge Worlds Collide. If you guys heard me last year, you know Keyforge was one of my favorite games of 2018. And the second expansion that came out in June was fine. Not great, but fine. It kind of, I dropped off a little bit. But this new expansion, which introduces two new uh, races, the Star Alliance and the um, Saurians, is fantastic. It's been really fun so far. I haven't seen a bad deck yet that isn't at least fun to play, whether it wins or not. And it's just a really cool way to just bring Keyforge back. If you were at all interested in playing the game or you played it and dropped off a little, well worth checking out. Um, next on the list is Watergate. I reviewed this back on episode 236, gave it a very glowing buy. And it is a very short, accessible, quick take on something like a Twilight Struggle, where one person plays Nixon, the other side plays uh, the journalist trying to stop Nixon or to catch him, I guess, in the act. And you will go back and forth until one of the players, you either uncover Nixon's efforts and make him resign, or Nixon is able to quash the press and, and get away with it, finish out his term. It is really, really solid. I've had a lot of fun with this. Any game that's this asymmetrical in two players really works. But this one in particular, just for some reason, just really, really clicks for me. Uh, there's been a lot of short, quick Twilight Struggle clones. This one, in my opinion, is the best. Shobu, which I talked about on episode 233, is an abstract game, which you have uh, stones in multiple rows. You'll move one, and it'll affect where one moves in a different place. So you have like the strong ones and the weak ones. It feels like a game that was invented hundreds of years ago, but it is a brand new one. And it's probably one of the better games to come from um, Smirk and Dagger slash Smirk and Laughter. 
Uh, I highly recommend checking this out, especially especially if you like abstract games and have somebody to play them with. And the last one is Nagaraja. This is a Bruno Cathala game with artwork by Vincent Dutrois. And it is, it's a relatively light two-player game, but there's a lot of stuff going on here. So you have this kind of race mechanic where you're trying to score 25 points before your opponent does, but there's also kind of a press your luck element where if you uncover multiple cursed relics, you're going to lose. You're fighting over different room tiles by using cards that you have and these fate sticks that you throw. There's a lot of cool things going on here, and it just kind of works together very seamlessly to create this clever, interesting puzzle of a two-player game. Well worth checking out. Uh, There you go. Five two-player games that I would recommend for your shopping list this year. All right, so let's move on to the lightweight games. So, Anthony, what do you have for us for this one? All right, first up on my side is Point Salad. This is one I reviewed on episode 234, and it is from AEG, sold out really quickly at Gen Con, and for good reason. It's a fun, quick, very scalable game, goes from two to six players, in which every single card in the game is unique. On one side, you have a certain vegetable, and on the other side, you have a certain scoring mechanic. And you will take these cards and try to put together a tableau of scoring mechanics that match the tableau of vegetables that you're building that's it that's the game it's very quick and easy to teach but every single game is different because all the cards are different so it is a fantastic quick game if you're looking for a new one that's goes up to six players you can throw in your bag this is one i recommend next up is century a new world this came up on episode 221 century a new world is the worker placement version of century spice road so Here, you're placing out your workers in order to be able to collect resources and transfer them into other resources like every other Sentry game. What's phenomenal about this whole series is you can mix and match the expansions for a different type of the game. So if you've collected all three Sentries, you could put together in a massive game. It's a fun, light to medium weight game, especially if you add all the other expansions. That's something really great to get to the table. All right, next one for me is Cartographers. I'm going to be talking about this next week, actually. Uh, we go through some roll and writes. This one is from the guys behind Role Player, and it is my favorite roll and write game of the year, hands down. You are drawing a map based on these different cards that come out. We have different polyomino shapes on them, but there's also monsters in the deck, which will allow your opponents to draw on your sheet, and they're going to draw it in the worst possible place. It's a lot of fun. It introduces interaction in a way you don't normally see in a roll and write game. The artwork is fantastic and it just works in a way that I haven't seen a lot of these work. So if you're looking for a good, clever roll and write alternative, or I guess in this in this game, a card flip and write, um, Cartographers is worth checking out. Next, we have Villagers, which I reviewed on episode 232. Villagers is a tableau building game or a supply chain management game or just general logistics. So in villagers, you are going to recruit villagers to be able to provide food and craftsmanship for your village. As you build up these different supply chains, which start something very, very simple from pulling together wheat to finally building a house, you have to go through a number of the steps throughout the way. This game has a number of different expansions that came along with the Kickstarter, but whether you play with the base game or the more recommended advanced version of the game it's a tremendous game with wood coins of all things that's villagers 
All right. And then my last one here on the light side is parks. Uh, Chris actually talked about this on his acquisition disorder on episode 208. And then I'm planning a review here in the next couple of weeks. But this is a beautiful, beautiful game that uses artwork from the 51 Park series and has big, massive tarot cards for each of those national parks and the artwork that goes with them. And the mechanic is fairly simple. You're just moving along a path and taking actions to try to basically experience the parks as best you can. It has like a nice Takedo mechanic where the last person goes first, but you have two workers, which is kind of cool. So you can kind of manipulate that in certain ways. It's not the heaviest game. It's not the most robust or interesting, but because of how it's presented and because of the different ways that you get to experience these parks, it's just relaxing and interesting, honestly, in a way that Takedo always was for me. So that is parks, and I highly recommend it if you're looking for something just relaxing and calm and, and pretty to look at. Next up is our medium weight games. These have a little bit of a crunch, but they are still lightweight and fun. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us here? All right, first one up, I just reviewed two weeks ago on episode 246, and that's Marvel Champions the Card Game. This is the newest iteration of that original Lord of the Rings formula from uh, Fantasy Flight Games in their living card games. And to me, after several more plays, and honestly, I haven't really dug into the other content yet, but it might be my favorite of them thus far. It is quick, it is snappy, it has some very clever mechanics built into it. I can just see what they're going to be able to do with it. If you're a fan of these card games, the living card games where you're just trying to puzzle your way through it, if you're a fan of Marvel, this is a just a beautiful combination of that. And it falls right there in that medium weight where you can build a deck or you could just use what they give you. But even if you do build a deck, it's a lot simpler than either of you know, the Lord of the Rings or Arkham Horror were in terms of deck building. So highly recommend it. Marvel Champions, the card game. Next up is Wingspan, the phenomenal game that just took the world by storm. We reviewed it on episode 214, but you probably know everything about it. It's Tableau Builder in which you are presenting birds out there to the tableau. And based upon where you place the cards and based upon where you place the action tokens, you will activate a certain terrain, which then will activate the birds in that terrain, which will give you eggs, which will give you food, and which will give you other cards. There are massive numbers of combos, how things work together, tuck cards, meet objectives, and generally, it is a solid, solid medium weight game that everyone enjoys. All right, next up is Imperial Settlers, Empires of the North. I have not reviewed this here yet, but I did talk about it at length on Every Night is Game Night. And this is a re-implementation of a lot of the ideas of Imperial Settlers, which is one of my top 10 games of all time. But it's quicker, it's a little cleaner, it's not quite as mean, although it can be if you want it to be, and it has a little bit more flexibility in how you do your actions. Still don't know if I like it more than the original just because of how much content is in that box, but it's getting really close. It is fantastic. If you like Tableau Builders, if you like having a unique deck for each of these different potential factions, Imperial Settlers Empires of the North is well worth checking out. All right, and then the last one here in the medium group is Ishtar. I reviewed this on episode 238. It's a new one from Bruno Cathala and Yellow Games. And it is a beautiful looking abstract game in which you are creating a garden and flower beds around these different uh, gardens in Babylon. So the goal here is to generally control areas around each of the individual fountains that are on the map, but also 
the placement of the tiles you put out. You're going to want to pick up as many gems as you can, get your gardeners in the right location, upgrade certain abilities, unlock certain scoring mechanics, and then ultimately plant trees that are worth anywhere between four and 17 points. It is, it's beautiful. It's fun. It can be a little mean, but not nearly as much as some other plant-based games can be. And it's just one of my favorite medium weight abstract style games of this last year. That's Ishtar. And finally, we have our heavyweight category. And first up is City of the Big Soldiers, which we covered on episode 239. Deal with stock markets and really unique companies that's trying to utilize resources and workers in order to produce goods to meet contracts and gain special abilities throughout the game. It has all the heaviness of an 18 double X game, but none of the railroads, but a lot of the stock market action. So that is City of the Big Shoulders. All right. For me, the next one here is PAX Premier Second Edition. Uh, we talked about this on episode 228 when I gave it a buy rating. This is the updated version of a slightly older game from Cole Worley, who you all might know as the designer of Root. And this game is just so particular and clever in so many different ways. In it, you're going to be playing different leaders in the 19th century Afghan struggle between uh, these different European countries and then, of course, the Afghans themselves um, fighting off these people who are coming in trying to exert their influence on the country. The game mechanics themselves, you're building a tableau and it's going to register different things and you're going to trigger different abilities. And the goal of that is to affect control of the map where you're trying to get different areas that you'll have dominance over. This is a little convoluted in terms of how the rules end up working out, but it is much smoother and cleaner and easier to access than almost any other PAX game. And it has a lot of the same feeling that you might get from Cole Worley's other games. This game really struck me. It was fantastic. The production is really beautiful. You can't get this in regular distribution, but it is available on the WhirlyGig website. So it is still up there if you're looking for something that was a good, heavy holiday gift. That's PAX Premier 2nd Edition. Next up is Trismegistus. This was reviewed on episode 246. So once again, you're an alchemist and you're transforming basic resources into fantastical new resources in order to meet different contracts and be able to produce amazing potions. So you'll pick up special abilities that will allow you to be able to gain some bonuses when you do those transformations and meet those particular contracts throughout the game as you build up fortunes and you build up formulas. That's Trismegistus. All right, next one for me is Black Angel. I reviewed this on episode 237. This is the sci-fi re-implementation of the basic mechanics of Twa. It adds a whole bunch of new stuff, though. You have the shipboard, or you have the Black Angel ship moving and the board constantly changing. You have these robots that you're manipulating and moving around to try to implement new cards that you're trying to pull in and figure out new technologies. You have your own personal board where you're managing these different technology tiles that slide into different rows and columns. There's a lot going on in this game, but once it all clicks, it clicks really well and it just coalesces into this really fun, clever puzzle uh, of a game that I've just continued to come back to since I picked it up in the summer. So that is Black Angel. And finally, we have Escape Plan that we talked about on episode 224. So what we're looking at here is a slightly lighter, but still a pretty heavy 
Euro game from Vlatalacerda. So what you're doing here is you're pretty much one of the bad guys that just made a big takedown. And you're trying to escape the city with as much cash as you possibly can. Your other bad guys out there are sending cops your way. So you have to avoid the cops, pick up the cash and find your quickest way to the exit before the city completely shuts down. This was a recent Kickstarter and came with a fantastic deluxified version. So it's something definitely check out. That's Escape Plan. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.